You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome everyone to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for introverts and highly sensitive people who want to continue the process of evolving and improving themselves, living big, without getting burned out in the process, hopefully. I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess, fellow HSP, introvert, super nerd, and if all goes well, aspiring badass. I say aspiring because really. I mean, shouldn't we always be aspiring to something better than we are currently? Oh, anyway, in the spirit of badassery, I want to talk about, drumroll, leadership. As a rule, we, and when I say we, I primarily am referring to Americans, as that's the proverbial water I've been swimming in my whole life, uh, think leaders are alphas. They're boisterous. They are comfortable being in the epicenter of everyone's attention. They know what needs to be done. They know how to delegate. The end of their sentences rarely end with an inflection. So they don't end up with it. They end up more like with a sense of finality. So you can imagine then how difficult it would be as either an introvert or a highly sensitive person, in my case both, to imagine him or herself, in my case her, (laughs) uh, as a leader. As it happens, I recently left a position at a large corporation as a program manager. I was given an amount of praise for my work. My absence, I was promised, would be felt. But I had trouble absorbing it. I had seen really, really good leaders in action, and I honestly could say I I didn't look anything like them. I was perfectly competent. I cared about the people I worked with. I cared cared about the job itself. Um, But the role didn't ever really seem to fit me. Or maybe I didn't ever really feel like I fit the job or I don't know. Either way, I relayed this to a really close friend of mine, a woman I see as being a superb leader. And she responded by saying, you know, Leah, you absolutely have the stuff of leadership. You just need to find your own leadership style. My style is very different from my mentor's version but we both received positive feedback and contributed something. So naturally, that kind of led me to wonder, just what is it that makes a good leader? Are there universal qualities that all of these awesome people have? Does it look different with each person? Can an HSP make a decent leader? Um, Can they be a good leader without burning out? Can an HSP be a good leader as an HSP Or would they have to put some armor and camouflage, pretending to be a sturdy extrovert to make it happen? Is it at all possible that HSP could have unique strengths that might even make them particularly good leaders? Is that a thing? Spoiler alert, by the way, the answer to that last question is yes. HSP can make excellent leaders. They do have traits that could theoretically lend themselves really well to leadership. But like with everything in life, to be an HSP also presents some unique challenges. So in this episode, what I want to do is basically first cover what traits make a good leader, irrespective of temperament. Like across the board, what are some universal things that all really good leaders seem to have in common? 
Then I want to go over what traits HSP typically have that lend themselves well to leadership from that list. And then finally, I'll talk about some of the challenges they face and some strategies that can help offset those challenges. thus making your underlings happy and you sane. If all goes well anyway. So, part one. <laughs> all right, so I've done some research that pulled from several authors on the topic of leadership. I'll do my best to cite sources as I pull this stuff out, but you know, keep in mind, a lot of these themes seem to be pretty universal across the board, and a lot of authors used similar language. So I can, I'll do my best, but please know I won't necessarily know who said what in exactly the right same way, because I'm paraphrasing a lot of their work. Um, so without further ado, number one, good leaders have empathy. This surfaced in every article and or book about leadership. Now, before you go mocking me with satire versions of the song Kumbaya, Simon Sinek in his book Leaders Eat Last reflected this concept in a way that even the most manly men might be able to buy into. He used an example of a soldier, a pilot. There were also men positioned on the ground. A battle breaks out. Men from below need air support. The pilot responded immediately. He flew dangerously low to the ground in order to better get the shots needed to aid his fellow soldiers. Soldiers. Can't speak. Over and over, he flew down. Strike. Back up. Back down. Strike. Back up. Back down. Strike. Just over and over. With his help, um, they sustained few injuries. And by they, I mean Team America. <laughs> um, they sustained few injuries. And unless I'm mistaken in the story, there were few, if any, casualties. When asked later how he kept up his vigilance, he replied that he just kept imagining what the soldiers below must be going through. He kept seeing the faces of the young men. Scared, tired, vulnerable, brave, determined. And that image kept his focus on track. No matter how fatigued he felt or dangerous the next strike might be, he simply could not stop. It wasn't an option. Many people get scared of empathy, but this guy didn't. He leaned into it. So... What's unfortunate is, you know, here we all are, and this is me too, I kind of had this sense, you know, we imagine that to empathize with someone will be ew, gooey, you know, love stuff, which, you know, love is certainly in there, or it will mean needing to take on the emotions of others, and sort of like, oh, if I sit in a space with you, I'm going to absorb whatever, you know, emotive stuff you're sending my way, but that simply isn't the case. Empathy is the ability to find, in yourself, the emotion you see on the face of another. It's the ability to recognize it and say the equivalent of, hey, I've been there, or I've felt that on my own skin. A good leader, it turns out, needs that quality, because without understanding the experience of those working below him or her, he or she will have without uh, like a really hard time providing the support necessary for productive work. So... As I've mentioned, you know, we have a tendency to think of empathy as something soft, but it turns out to be extremely effective. And you don't even have to be empathizing with their struggle. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, the struggle is real. When using it, it you know, there are plenty of things other people are going through on any given day where I'm staring at them and I'm thinking, yeah, that just would not trigger me. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like internally, whatever it is that their struggle happens to be, like, yeah, that just wouldn't have even gotten on my radar. But I can at the very least recognize the emotion that's, you know, on 
their face and the way that they're describing their experience. And it's like, you know, I wouldn't have gotten upset by the thing you're upset by. But I've been in that emotional space for a different set of reasons. But I know what loneliness feels like or fear or, you know, fatigue or, you know, determination or the sense of feeling dispirited. I know what that feels like on my own skin. So that's really what empathy is about. It's not saying, oh, yeah, I totally understand why you feel that way about the thing that just happened. It's I have experience with that emotion and I might not fully understand why this thing in your environment is provoking that emotion in you, but I absolutely understand the emotion itself. And I'm willing to sit in in this space with you while you navigate that emotion. Um, The next, good leaders are clear. The phrase Brene Brown uses is clear as kind. In an effort to avoid confrontation, some of us prefer to stay in the realm of linguistic vagaries. We say things like synergy and excellence and perfection. We say to those around us that we would like the dishes done when what we mean is that we want the kitchen cleaned. We say we're fine when we are in fact miserable, maybe even resentful. Good leaders don't fall into this trap. Brene Brown uses an example of a conversation which took place between herself and a colleague. He asked her to have some copies of some finances of some sort made by, let's say, 4 p.m. She did. When he got the information from her, however, he was disappointed. He didn't just want what she provided, it turns out. He needed, like, back data from several years back, and he needed all these other elements added to the financial history that she was providing him. So it led to a lot of frustration and some inefficiency. An improved conversation, she tells her readers, would be if upon getting instructions from her boss, Brene could say, sure, I can get that project done for you. Tell me what done looks like. When a leader is clear about what he or she needs from those around her, it makes for more efficient and more effective work. People feel safe when it's clear what is expected of them. So a good leader is capable of being very clear, not just blunt, but clear. The next one, uh, good leaders encourage new ideas. Now this doesn't just mean that good leaders give lip service to the love of new ideas. That's called bullshit. Encouraging new ideas means inviting everyone to the table and asking insightful questions. It means having fun with it. It also means honoring how people come up with ideas. Some people prefer to sit alone and ponder. Other people prefer to brainstorm together. And a good leader needs to be ready to follow through on those ideas. It's all well and good to give, you know, invited dialogue and have a conversation. But what are you going to do with that information? A good leader will experiment. They will give their employees the keys to the car they are known to be good at driving and say, sure, sounds interesting. Give that a shot. And, and this is also important, if it blows up in everyone's face, a good leader will take the fall for it and say, hey, I told them to try it. I stand by that decision. It was worth a shot. So that actually leads to number four. Having said that, a good leader will not just tell folks, hey, go for it. But they'll also hold, well, actually, I don't know if this is so much piggybacking on the last thought. I think it's more just... um, an extension of that last one. So let's say, for example, 
you've had your period of time when people have created some new ideas and they're like, okay, I'm going to follow through. I'm going to try that. So a good leader gives the keys to the car of the car to the person. And now let's say everybody comes back to the table and it turns out it was just a really sloppy job. Well, a good leader will hold people accountable for that. So this doesn't just mean playing the blame game. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about holding people accountable for their behavior and holding them accountable to the standard that a good leader is aware one can meet. So it's a good leader wouldn't just say, you know, I don't know, but they wouldn't play a blame game. They might say something more like, hey, I noticed you looked a bit distracted in the meeting today and your work is starting to slip. I know the caliber of your work and this isn't it. Is everything okay? What support do you need? Holding someone accountable is another way of saying that you believe in them. So a good leader will open the floor for new ideas. They will trust their employees to be able to submit good work. And when their employees don't meet the standard that again, that person is known to, for meeting, a good leader will be able to stand firm and say, hey, what's going on? So I don't just mean they'll say, you did it wrong. It's more of a, I've seen your work before and I know it's really good quality. What's, what happened here? Did you not get the tools you needed? Do you not feel supported? Did you not get sleep last night? Like, what's going on? What, what do you need? Uh, number five, good leaders serve the work, not their ego. So this does not mean that you can't have an ego. It doesn't mean that you can't have a stake in whatever work you're engaging in. What it does mean is that the work comes first. A good leader will leverage the wisdom in the room. They will admit when they're wrong. This doesn't mean they will vomit up their emotions onto the room and ask everyone to make them feel better. For example, hey, I'm really struggling too, okay? I'm doing the best I can here and I feel really just, just, just lost, okay? That's not good leadership. The people work, working with you now feel like they have to manage your fears and emotions along with their own. It's more just about taking a hard look at what needs to get done and figuring out how best to go about it. And as a leader, it also means admitting when you're wrong. So it's not about the ego. It's not about, hey, how do I make this look great so that I come out shining? It's how do we as a team develop this thing? Like it's the, it's kind of like the parent who's not concerned with how they look as the parent. They're concerned with making sure the kid has the most supportive environment imaginable. Well, this thing that you're creating in your work or, you know, whatever it is you're trying to, as a leader, trying to sort of inspire people to gather around and achieve that's the baby. That's where all of your work goes into, not in your own self-image. All right, which brings me to my next item. So this is number six, self-awareness and its companion, self-love. So it's hard to put your work above your ego if you're not self-aware. <laughs> um, a good leader knows his or her assets and liabilities, um, if not all of them, enough to navigate social exchanges well. So, but being aware isn't just, well, it's not really enough. It also means loving oneself enough to know how to maintain a balanced life. So what does this look like? It looks like modeling the kind of sustainable behavior you want to encourage in those following your lead. It looks like stopping work at a reasonable time, insisting your colleagues do the same. Um, it looks like practicing self-care. It looks like owning up to your mistakes and making it right, but without being self-deprecating. It looks like taking a personal day when it's necessary, and it looks like buckling down to do the work when the work requires it. Number seven, good leaders foster interdependence rather than independence. 
So this doesn't mean that good leaders don't allow their people to have some autonomy. It's more that a good leader will make it clear they were a team and that no one person is expected to shoulder the burden of the entire project. And it means modeling that behavior. The whole, if you can't get it done, oh, what is it? The whole, if you can't get it done right, you may as well just do it yourself. I mean, that's a thing. I'm sure you've said it yourself, even if only internally. The motto is way outdated and apparently mostly wrong. Yes, take ownership. Absolutely be assertive. Yes, be a go-getter. But no, do not think that you were alone. No, do not avoid asking for support when you need it. I've worked with some phenomenal leaders who were able to foster interdependence amongst the team, but maybe weren't able to model it for themselves. So in other words, they took on more than perhaps they should have. They shouldered a greater burden and didn't let people know that they needed help. The upside was that the team (laughs) thrived for a short period of time, but ultimately these leaders topple over. They become overwhelmed and they need rest. This becomes a problem for many reasons. It lends the impression that being a leader is excruciatingly difficult, and it is hard, but maybe not as hard as some leaders make it out to be if they're not modeling sustainable behavior. And it also corrupts trust, not so much in the actual leader, although that can happen. It's more that it disrupts people's trust in anyone's ability to be a leader at all. Clearly, only the toughest of brutes can hack it, since it's often the brusque, insensitive leaders who maintain their position. But that doesn't have to be the case. It really doesn't. So fostering interdependence is the ability to create a space where people, you know that scene in Forrest Gump where you have the two, there's Bubba and there's uh, Forrest, and they're sitting back to back. And it's like, all right, we'll just sit back to back and we'll fall asleep like this. And if one of us topples, the other one can pull you up. It's that. It's just recognizing that we can't do all of this alone. And we're a team. And yeah, sometimes you'll take on more, I'll take on more, but you know, it's not codependence, it's interdependence. So speaking of trust, by the way, number eight, good leaders foster trust. This is something that both Simon Sinek and Brene Brown discuss in broad strokes. So if the people you, uh, who work under you trust you, um, they'll fall on a sword for you. If they don't trust you, not much is likely going to get done. If anything, they'll pretty much just try and see what they can get away with. But how does a good leader build trust? Do they have to do like grand gestures? Is it big raises? Nope. Um, As it turns out, it's about small moments over time. It's about remembering your name. It's about asking how your family is doing. It's about following up when you ask on Monday how your family is doing on Tuesday. (laughs) Um, like when you ask how the family was doing on Monday, it's following up on Tuesday. Uh, it's about saying you'll meet someone at 3 p.m. and being there at 2.55, ready to chat. It's about basically just following through on the thing that you say you're going to do. It's holding the space so that everyone around you feels like they're supported. You know, there's an example that comes to my mind to someone I know who works uh, worked as a bartender. I don't know if he still does, but in a very nice restaurant and I asked you know because he wasn't tremendously happy in his position and I said well what is it that changed and it wasn't really the money it wasn't like he needed to make more although I'm sure he would have loved that it was that there used to be a sense of there being a team and that got diluted over time everybody was just out for themselves 
And he was able to even point to individuals and how that changed the whole dynamic. Like a good leader will, that's kind of getting back at that, you know, a good leader will put the work above their own ego. They'll think it's more important that the whole room feels supported more so than that they themselves are just liked. So a good leader will sort of hold the group accountable so that the flow of everything that needs to get done, so the bartender feels supported, all the waiters feel supportive, everyone's got a good flow to it. If a leader is always there, even if he's not there, then he's trained a manager to be there or, you know, whatever, and everything is going along smoothly, and that one person, every time you look and you say, hey, where's the leader, and he's there or she's there, that fosters a lot of trust. So it's, you know, you don't have to do these huge grand gestures. Most of the time, it's just about showing up and being a human, ideally a human with integrity. Uh, good leaders, this is number nine, can also normalize fear. They invite honest conversation about where things are going and what people's responses are to what's happening. The trick to this, though, is the willingness to sit in the discomfort and hold a space for it without making an opportunity to vent onto them. So that doesn't mean you can't say, hey, I know things are uncertain right now and uncertainty is scary. We're all going through it. If anyone needs to talk about it, come and see me. That's great. That's normalizing fear. Or maybe I think it might be a good idea to talk about the big elephant in the room. That's also great. It's holding the space. What's not a good idea is saying, listen, I know everybody's scared. I'm really scared too. And I don't know what's happening. And I'm just doing the best I can. And I just kind of need you to support me on this. Not helpful. Not helpful at all. So normalizing fear is just about saying, hey, straight up, change is hard. I get it. I'm here. How can I help you move forward? Number 10, they model support and downtime. This actually links back to the idea of fostering interdependence rather than independence as well. Um, one of the greatest challenges of a good leader is knowing when to stop, go home, relax, or I don't know, play. I actually went to an orientation for a training that was called Outward Mindset. It was all about how important it is to think about what the community needs are first and then put yourself second. And don't get me wrong, it's a really lovely idea. I mean, so the primary thing they were trying to say is that when you think of others and create value for other people, you inadvertently create more meaning and purpose for yourself. So by giving more, you receive more. You know, you get the idea. And I'm by no means poo-pooing on that as a concept, but I do have one small thing I would want to bring up. There are plenty of people, especially in helping professions, which HSP are often drawn to, that need to focus on just the opposite. They need to learn how to fill their cup first so that they can be more effective at giving their communities, or rather giving to their communities. So a perfect example of this can be seen in nursing. They think of their patients first, their patients' needs, desires, comfort, all of that stuff. So much so that they end up taking on more and more stress, fatigue, and ultimately even resentment because they don't give themselves a chance to breathe. But the culture is so entrenched in that mode of thinking that the lead nurses on the unit scoff at younger nurses who might be more inclined to take a bit of downtime for themselves, to rest, to recover. So what happens? Nurses remain exhausted and feeling unsupported. It's not sustainable. So a good leader models sustainable behavior. They will say, they'll be the ones to say, hey, I'm taking my break. And when they come back, hey, I'm going to go ahead and hold you accountable to this. There's that accountability. You need to take your break. You haven't yet. 
And if you cry and kick and scream and shout and say, but, but, but my people, a good leader is just going to say, hey, I, I get it. I, I will be here for your people, but you need to take your break. It's just how it is. That actually leads me into the next realm. Healthy boundaries. A good leader will be clear about what's okay and what's not okay. This is something, I'm jumping ahead of myself here a little bit, but um, something that highly sensitive people tend to really struggle with. Part of it, I think, is that they want so badly to have peace and harmony in their space that they compromise in such a way that it, it almost always feels like the right decision to just kind of go with the flow. You know, come on, man. Just go with it, man. Be cool. But that doesn't always work. So having boundaries, even though it might feel uncomfortable in the moment, is much, much better in the long run. What negative impact does have? Like, I mean, if you can say to someone, this is what is okay, this is what's not okay, counterintuitively enough, that is far more comforting than just this open-ended everything yes. So really, holding healthy boundaries, being able to say the word no comfortably. Okay, so the final thing I want to say about what it takes to be a good leader, um, this, this, act, this next piece is coming from Daniel Pink's work. Uh, he wrote the book Drive. In his book, he covers what it is that motivates people. And he determined that in roles that require repetitive motion, you know, things that you're just, I don't know, building widgets, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, paying people more is actually quite helpful. As soon as critical thinking and creativity are involved, though, Adding more cash actually just seems to do the opposite. It makes for less productive work. So instead, what he described as um, being sort of the, the necessary ingredients for motivation, they were autonomy. So making your team feel like they have the freedom they need to have in order to get the job done. They feel like they are trusted. They can do what they need to do when they need to do it. They might even have some control over their schedule. That makes them feel like they're motivated to do the work. Um, number two is purpose. So they feel like even when they're like bunkering down in the minutia of, you know, it's like, you know, there are certain things in whatever job you might like to have that you're just like, ugh, I hate this part. But if you have a sense of purpose, you're able to get through that with so much more grace. So having a sense of purpose is huge. And finally, competence. So the people working under you feel like they have the tools and training required to get the job done and done well. So, okay, that's a pretty good overview of what it takes um, for a good leader to, to lead well. So what are some of the things that HSP might naturally be good at from that list? Uh, well, there's actually quite a bit here. So HSP tend to be pretty adept at empathy. That's good news. As a rule, uh, highly sensitive people, just by virtue of their trait, they tend to pay attention and absorb a lot more data about what's going on in their environment. So what that means is they likely are going to be able to key in on the nuances of people's emotions. So empathy, that's a breeze for HSP. So point for us. Uh, HSP tend to be very good at encouraging new ideas. They're a curious bunch, um, so they want to see what people around them are thinking and they want to invite discourse, and they want to think deeply. So they really want to get a holistic picture of what's going on. And the more they can extract from a greater number of people around them, the better. So in that way, highly sensitive people tend to be fabulous for holding that space. Um, 
Number three, they are definitely good at serving the work above their ego. If anything, they might do this to their detriment because they want to remain out of the limelight for the most part because to be right in the center of things is a little overstimulating. Maybe not for everybody, but for enough people that you might see highly sensitive people kind of going, mm, yeah, I'd rather just do the work. I don't really need to take the credit because then that means I have to just like be front and center. I don't want that. <laughs> so in that sense, they're pretty good. Um, they have a great awareness of themselves and of others. It doesn't always translate into really good self-care, but it translates beautifully into other care. So they'll definitely encourage others around them to, to take care of themselves. Um, and they tend to be conscientious and trustworthy. If you tell them to do something, more often than not, they want to get it done. The If we're talking about a mature HSP, it will be because, well, they have integrity. They say they're going to do it, so they're going to. The shadow side might be they want to do it because they are addicted to being liked. Because that gets back to that need for harmony. But either way, their conscientiousness does help to kind of provide a sense of trustworthiness for those around them. Um, the number six, they do know how to normalize fear. They're very good. That kind of gets back to empathy, but they feel so many things and they feel them so deeply that fear is certainly one of them and it's definitely a normal one. And seven, uh, they will encourage autonomy. Um, they have an uncanny ability to connect with uh, purpose and they'll go out of their way to give the tools to their team in order for their team to feel competent. So if it's about taking care of you, HSPs are your go-to people. That's all well and good, but what about the things they're kind of crappy at? So these are going to be the challenges that HSP have. Highly sensitive people have a tendency to use really vague language. We want to leave the discussion open for nuance. How can anything be discussed in absolute terms when life is, you know, subtle? <laughs> um, so this can become a really serious challenge for those working with them. To be clear about expectations is incredibly helpful. This is true in a working relationship. It's also true in personal relationships. They need to be clear and they need to be decisive in the language they use when they're giving information about expectations. This is something I, for example, have gotten a lot of constructive and maybe sometimes not so constructive feedback on. Um, I've been told before, you know, Leah, I, you're being too nice. You're being too sweet. You're being too soft. You're being unclear. Please, what is it that you want? And what is, what do I need to do? Like, what do you want? And in what way do you see me being a contributing factor in making that happen? The second thing, boundaries. Oh, boundaries. Here's the problem HSB have with boundaries. Um, it requires them to say no. <laughs> it's really that simple. HSPs tend to struggle with the seemingly simple word, and we come by it honestly. You know, oddly enough, it's not often, at least not with the HSPs that I know, it's not often the case that we're, all, well, I don't know. Let me actually think about this. Yeah, I don't know enough highly sensitive people to say for sure that, yeah, I can't say I know their experience, so that won't work. What I will say for myself at least is most of the time I'm saying yes because I really want to say yes. It's not just that I want to make you happy. It's that the idea that you're giving me excites me. Hey, will you help and come to dinner? I would love to come to dinner. Hey, 
will you help me out and teach this class? And as a sub, I would love to be a sub for you. Hey, will you come with us when we go to the fair on Saturday? Oh my God, I would love to go to the fair on Saturday. Yes. So I say yes, yes, yes. But the problem is I'm not thinking about the long-term implications. I'm not thinking about the fact that I said yes to subbing a class, followed shortly by coming to dinner, followed the following day by going to a carnival or whatever. And all of a sudden, by the end of the week, I'm overwhelmed, overtaxed, miserable, confused, and I cannot for the life of me figure out where the hell I went wrong. Well, duh. (laughs) I just said yes to too much. So this is the issue that HSPs tend to have. It's not that they didn't want to say yes and they said yes anyway. It's that they did want to say yes. They were being honest, but they weren't looking, they weren't thinking about what their needs would be. And of course, there are, I imagine, some HSP who are just terrified of being disliked. So they say yes, even if they know they don't want to. I've been there too. We would really be serving not just ourselves, but our loved ones much better if we could get better with boundaries. Number three, modeling self-care to others. That actually goes from the boundaries to modeling self-care. We're great at encouraging other people to do it, but because for the most part, most people aren't highly sensitive people. We're only about 15 to 20% of the population. That means the majority of people, oh, 80 to 85%, aren't HSP. So we're looking out, you know, in the world around us and it's just like, God, they don't seem to need as much rest as I do. They don't seem to be thinking constantly about the interconnectedness of blah, blah, or the intricacies of bibbidi bop or the, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we feel a lot. We process deeply and that's lovely, but not everyone else is doing that. So not everyone else needs to then constantly be cleaning the lens and allowing for downtime. So it's kind of hard to advocate for oneself when most people don't have the same needs. But nevertheless, we need to (laughs) because we suck at life when we don't do it. And it meaning self-care. So we do best when we use boundaries and are really clear about what our needs are meeting our own needs for the most part. So I'm not saying that you should delegate everyone else to make you feel better, but just being clear, hey, I'm gonna go for a walk, I'll be back. Boom, that simple. When everyone else is eyeballing you funny, just keep walking, who cares? No one really gives a shit, really and truly. And if they're upset with you for going to take your break, chances are they're just upset because they're jealous and they haven't figured out how to do that for themselves. So if you're a leader and a highly sensitive person, one of the best things you can do is take care of yourself. Because what you're saying implicitly is, hey guys, I'm doing it, you do it too. Whatever self-care looks like for you. Um, Number four, interdependence over independence. I don't know if we're so good at that, to be honest. I mean, I think we're pretty good at fostering it in other people and encouraging it. But highly sensitive people tend to be kind of neurotic. So there's a high rate of perfectionism with HSP and they tend to be the type to sort of be like, yeah, I, I'm just going to do it myself. I don't want to have to work with a team because that's risky. I'd rather just do it myself, even if it overwhelms me. So I think highly sensitive leaders would really do well to trust that other people can do a good job. And even if it doesn't look as perfect and pristine as perhaps you would have done it, get over it. Done is better than perfect. Don't let that conscientious quality in you 
drive the car over the cliff. Not a good life choice. So those are the things that we could stand to work on. Basically, in summation of all of this, uh, the main question was, well, the questions were, hey, can a highly sensitive person be a leader? That is an unequivocal yes. And in fact, my gut says there are probably a ton of HSPs who are leaders right now. But the next question is, can they do it well? I imagine that too is a yes, because a lot of highly sensitive people are really good at being a chameleon and presenting what the world needs to see of them. That's awesome. Definitely a kind of a cool superpower. But what I think a lot of highly sensitive people who are good at being leaders and who are in leader roles, leadership roles, um, they're pretending to be extroverts. So they're good leaders in spite of their trait. Well, no, it's not even in spite of their trait. They're good leaders because of their trait, but they're overriding the challenges that their trait presents for themselves. They're not taking care of themselves the way they should be. And so what I think happens for a lot of highly sensitive leaders is they either immediately determine that they're no good because <laughs> it's like, I'm an introvert. I, I'm not really boisterous. I don't have those skills. I'm going to go ahead and step back down. So that's one thing that can happen. Number two, they might legitimately suck at it. Like whatever the reason, it's not just because of their trait. They give it a try because they were so conscientious. They worked them with their way into leadership and they realize, oh, well, this is a totally different skill set. I was great as a health educator, not so great as a program manager. I was great as a software designer, not so great as a, again, manager of other software designers. It might just be a different skill set. So that could be one. It could be, though, that they're great leaders, but they're pretending to be something they're not in order to like, get the result that they want from their team. That, I think, is... I've That's been... A really, mm, that's been really common in the thread of the conversations I've had with clients. It's I'm working my butt off. I'm I'm I love my job. I love my people, but I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I don't know what to do. Please just tell me what to do. I don't know if I should leave my job. I don't think I can leave my job. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So they're overwhelmed, and the people around them would never know. That's what I think is kind of funny in general about anyone who has anxiety or depression. Um, well, maybe not or depression, but certainly anxiety. It, the kinds of people who have it are often surprising because everyone else would say, whoa, they're such a rock. Well, yeah, they're a rock, but they're good at pretending to be a rock because they've had to deal with this bullcocka anxiety problem. HSPs are notorious for that. The problem is that's not sustainable. What will start to happen is despite their really great work, they'll constantly be commended and given more work because they're doing so dang good. Why wouldn't you want to give them more work? And then they get adrenal fatigue, they're not sleeping as well, and they just fall apart. So they're great for, they're like little <laughs> shooting stars. They're beautiful for a split second in the history of their lives at leadership. And then finally, you have some highly sensitive people who are good leaders, and they've found a way to do it in a way that's sustainable. That's the dream. That's when you know you've got it. And I promise you, the highly sensitive leaders who are able to do that and stay in that groove are the ones who are practicing self-care, even while they're caring for other people. 
They're balanced, they're clear about boundaries, they're very effective communicators, and they leverage their assets in order to compensate for their liabilities. And they're aware of their liabilities as well as their assets. They're able to just say straight out, hey guys, here's what I'm good at. I am great at supporting you on A, B, and C. But just so you know, I actually kind of struggle with D, E, and F. So if you notice that I'm not doing great in those areas, just tap me on the shoulder and be like, hey, there's nothing wrong with transparency. I don't mean emotional vomit, by the way. I'm not saying tell everybody to make you feel better all the time, but it's more just, hey, I'm just doing me. I'm doing the best I can here. If you see a gap, tell me. Like, I, I'm open to that feedback. I want to serve the work. I'm not here to serve my ego. I want you to let me know. You should hold me accountable too. I want to be here for you. Because just like with any person, I mean, you could have a wiry, crazy, happy-go-lucky extrovert, but maybe he's crappy. I say he. Maybe she's crappy with empathy because everything feels easy to him. God, it's so easy to present. It's so easy to do all of this work. I can go off of way less sleep. What's your problem? And it's like, well, not everyone's you. Or maybe you have this person who's great at empathy. They're a total extrovert, but they don't really take care of themselves. And they kind of figure, well, what? I work, the work is more important than my own ego. But they've forgotten that that means it's not sustainable. So everybody has areas that they're probably really good at and areas that they need to improve upon. This is the arena. What I, my attempt at this podcast for today in this episode was to just highlight what highly sensitive people tend to be good at when it comes to, like, if you're striving to be a leader in whatever arena that you're working in, go for it definitely go for it. You can do it. And in fact, you'll probably be, you'll probably do a kick-ass job of it. But if you want to do a kick-ass job and also be a sane person, you'll do it really strategically. You'll do it with discernment and you'll be deliberate about how you communicate with what you need and how you can support others and what they need. So that's basically the gist of all of that. Um, I also want to mention, by the way, I'm ultimately going to, I'm in the prime, I keep promising these courses are available and the first one is done. Uh, finishing up number two, I kind of want to make sure there's more than just one that's available when I launch. And one of them is about developing your leadership skills. And so it's a whole course on that. So if you're curious about how to sort of put these concepts into practice, so like as an example, all right, great. So good leaders have empathy. How do I show empathy in a way that's useful for other people? I'll be talking about that. You know, how do you become more clear in your communication? Um, you know, how do you encourage new ideas? Like, it's great to talk about this stuff, but I think it can often be more helpful to, to start talking about, well, what does that look like when it comes to practicing it? So stay tuned. That is also coming. And uh, yeah, I think that's just about it in terms of housekeeping and, and logistics. Um, as always, if you have any questions for me or if you just want to reach out to me, please don't hesitate. Um, you can find me on my website, www.thehealthysensitive.com. Um, there's a contact me page. It's a little button. You click it and I'm happy to answer questions. Um, and that's it. Hey, hey. Uh, I hope you have a fabulous evening. At least I'm recording this in the evening. And I'll look forward to hearing from y'all soon if at, if at any point you have questions or just want to chat. Take good care. Bye-bye.